Hello and welcome to the Refreshing Change podcast. My name is Nicola Scott and I will be your host. David, thank you so much for joining me on the Refreshing Change podcast. I'm so excited we finally got around to recording this. I'm very excited for what's to come. No, thank you. Thank you, Nick, for having me along. It's a, it's a pleasure. Even on a beautiful sunny day, uh, it's uh, it's always nice to stop and reflect and, and have meaningful conversations. So I think it's uh, this is a real space to be a human being and not a human doing. So uh, yeah. I'm very happy to be on. Yeah. Um, I know we're going to dive into loads of golden nuggets. Um, but before we do that, can everyone, can you just give everyone, I, I suppose, a bit of a background as to who you are, what you're all about. I don't like to do that whole what do you do label thing, but just go for whatever comes out, but give us a brief background and then we'll dive into the chat. Yeah, yeah. I had I actually challenged myself a few years ago when you normally meet a stranger, it's very much so, hi, I'm David, and then they'll be, oh, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And it's just such a pro it's a pre-programmed question that we've always got. And I challenged myself a few years ago to never ask that. Mm-hmm. To always be like, you know, what do you, to ask somebody, you know, what do you like to do, who are you? what's your passions, you know, all of these other questions. And it's something fun. Sometimes I'll sit down at a dinner and ask this and it just, uh, it almost is like a conversation killer. Because yeah. I was going to say, like, like, throw people off. Yeah. They're like deer and deer in headlights, but some, occasionally you get the right person and you're on that right energy and frequency and you just have this such meaningful conversation. But I guess why, I, why I'm sat with you today is we, we met in St. Andrews at the Scottish uh, student sports association quite some time ago. And, I guess I'd been asked there to to share my experiences in life. And I think, you know, we've all got a story. I, I One thing I'm very aware of is that none of us are getting out of this scar free. And I often think that, you know, scars on a knee are a great sign of a great childhood. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I had plen- plenty of them. But as I've aged and gone through life, I've faced some of life as bigger challenges, biggest challenge of facing my own mortality and looking at my own death through multiple tumor diagnoses, multiple surgeries, which I'm sure we'll dive into, paralysis. And, and along that, I've also tried to live, uh, I guess, a high-performance lifestyle as a professional sportsman. And, and I currently work with Nike as an athlete ambassador and a high-performance uh, coach. And um, yeah, and I, I, you know, I think for the last 13 years, I've really walked a tightrope of, of my own death and there's a lot of lessons that have come from that and I've had to change as a person grow as a person I've been challenged on my my thoughts my feelings my beliefs my values and, and ultimately I've, I've really had to shape a life that is directly looking at my mortality and through that I sort of realized that you know there's a lot of stuff I think in life it's easier to learn from other people's mistakes than your, than your own mistakes right and there's been a lot of things I've done wrong in this journey. There's lots of things that have happened to me that have been other people's mistakes uh, medically. And I sort of figured that it's almost like a little toolbox. And having conversations like this, hopefully I can share some nuggets of information of kind of where I've gone wrong and what the lessons have been from that. So other people, if they're ever faced with a similar challenge, they can maybe remember one thing. Oh, that guy, Dave Smith, I remember him just telling me that maybe to push a little bit more in certain areas and and that could prevent someone else becoming paralyzed or, or living with the sort of, I guess, the consequences of uh, a very um, confident doctor, so we say, that, that made mistakes on me. So, um, yeah, this is how we've, we've come to speak today and I'm, I'm truly happy and humbled to just be with you and your 
and your group and for everyone that's listening. Amazing. Thank you. There's so much. I knew when we were jumping on, there's so much I want to ask you and we'll, we'll, we'll fit in as much as we can into the conversation. But David, before we like dive in a bit more detail to your story and journey, I ask all my listeners, the Refresh and Change podcast, and I suppose my whole co- coaching philosophy is around change and empowering people to make the refresh and change in their life. And through doing the podcast, I've, I've been fascinated as to different people's approach or um, or aversion to change or how they, how they, they kind of uh, deal with it in their own life. So how have you... Change obviously is featured heavily in your life, even just from that short intro you've given. But how have you dealt with change? How significant a role has it played in your life? Wow, what a, what a great question. Uh, and I think this is, it's probably, you know, the literature probably says one thing mm. about this. And then I think also that everyone's own personal journey is is so specific to them. So I guess there's really no right and wrong. And, and obviously, if you go back to the literature, it will tell you so many days, months, and you have to do X, Y, Z. And and you follow that model and it's been so long since i've read the the literature on on actual change but what i realized was that one thing i've been wrestling with recently is environmental friction so i found myself in 2016 paralyzed from the neck down so considerable change before that my philosophy and my values were very much high performance about winning you know, chasing the world titles, uh, national teams to be the best in the world. So in, in that mindset, it's quite selfish. You There is quite a, a lot of narcissistic traits involved. Uh, it's very much a singular, I must get to bed. I need to go training. It's very much about the I. And I think that's the beauty with team sports because team sports actually teach you about the we. But as an individual athlete in an individual sport, you become very focused on the on the on the I, this the sense of self of who you are, and you're very driven. And everyone has to move aside as you pursue your your dream. <laughs> not it's maybe not everyone else's dream, but it's certainly yours. When you're paralyzed, uh, that's a big hit in the road, a big bump in the road, and you're you're forced to change. And I often think sometimes if you just advise someone or say to someone hey you should change your habit it's going to help you live in our 10 years or you're going to be more productive a lot of people don't change because mm-hmm. environmental friction if you tell someone not to eat the cookies and the cookies are there you know the links to dopamine and all sorts of other stuff we're going to reach for the cookie and we're not going to have one we're going to eat the whole we're going to eat the whole box if they're not in your fridge or cupboard then you're less likely to eat them unless you're dopamine levels are going through the roof and you get in your car and drive to the local garage and buy them and then eat them all before you get home. Change is hard. And a lot of people don't change until they're really forced to change. Mm. And then sometimes when we're forced to change, this is where sometimes environmental friction comes in. So I find myself paralyzed from the neck down in 2016. I leave hospital. Then I'm challenging to to find a sense of identity. Who am I? I went in there as as an athlete who lived by the, I guess, the motto of the Olympics, which is Sitius, Asius, Fortius, faster, higher, stronger. And now I'm a disabled person. And for eight months of hospital, I've been told everything I couldn't do. In the spinal cord hospital, they run you through a test on your spinal cord and you're given a basically a number and a term and it's like if you're in prison someone asks you what are you in for it's the same in the spinal cord hospital or what what are you so i was a tetraplegic asia d incomplete which is a long course to basically saying that that you're you're kind of screwed and you're not as screwed as someone who's complete and maybe a, a different number 
So, but you are forced to change. You're forced to change your mindset. Your life is forced to change. You then have to have adapted houses, adapted cars. Everything has to be adapted. I had the mindset of, well, I'm, I ain't going to, I'm not going to adapt. I'm not going to have the world adapt around me. I'll mentally adapt mm. around, around the injury. I don't want a raised toilet seat. I don't want a chairlift. I don't want a knife and a fork all in one thing. I, I will adapt my mind and my physiology to best deal with the situation. That was my coping strategy. And when I left hospital, that worked initially. And if you fast forward seven years, I'm living in London. I have four flights of stairs to get out my house. Then there's very few disabled parking bays. I know what I need to do to to have initiate to keep the change of a healthy lifestyle which aligns with my values, but the environmental friction is too much. So this is where willpower willpower is just not enough. It's not enough to do the change. It's we will go back to what we know. You know, we'll seek pleasure over meaning. We're we know we're at the mercy of a a world that is overindulgent overindulgence every corner instant gratification now is more prolific than it ever has been you know from the yeah. Stanford study on marshmallows I think if they ran that study again now and they put an iPhone in the room everyone would be picking up the iPhone so I think that it's, it's super hard right and what I realized is if you have a, a hundred meters and in the next lane is full of hurdles and you ask someone to choose the lane 99.9% .9 of the time they're going to choose the lane without the hurdles because that's less environmental friction request requires less willpower it requires less cognitive ability and ultimately our body is built on a body battery to keep us safe and evolved so we'll, we'll take the easiest route and it's not always the, the best route so what i found was to tr for me to try and keep this change going from trying to find a new life with paralysis i was only been able to run the hurdles once a week and that was to get myself to the gym, get myself to the pool, or get myself to Richmond Park to cycle. Healthy change, healthy, good habits as a paralyzed person. The rest of the week, I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the willpower. And I would be sat in my house looking at a wall, my cognitive abilities going down, states of depression rising, and find myself in a really dark place. I take myself to Scotland, no environmental friction, change is very easy except mm. it's very easy so i i came at it rather than coming at it from a cognitive cbt reframing mental top-down approach which i just i struggled i knew myself if i could come at it from a physical side even being paralyzed i can still move one side of my body uh the the neurochemicals and neurochemistry that is involved in and just exercising so just moving in action, then that would allow me to change my cognitive perception of my injury, which then just makes me a, a better person to be around. So, but what I learned through all of this is that, that change change is difficult. And I think when we're working with change, we have to come at a level of compassion for ourselves and for others. And to know that it that, that it ain't easy. It, you know, this stuff is is challenging and it's difficult. And there's a lot of noise around us that pulls us away and we come back. But I found looking at the environmental frictions that were around me, which was restri restricting me to change, was, was a key. And when I could remove them, then I flourished. When they're there, I can do 
hours and I've done a lot of therapy. I can do hours and hours and hours and hours of therapy and I just don't feel any better mm. because I just go back to the same situation, which has got all those environmental frictions, environmental trip wires, triggers, everything. And I'm straight back trying to grab clouds. It doesn't work when you try to grab a cloud. Well, I've taken pages of notes already and we're only <laughs> on question one. Um, yeah, I love all that. I couldn't agree more. I don't necessarily agree with the literature around, especially that habit forming, you know. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, you look at what goes on in society that then takes from that habit forming mm -hmm. literature to say, like, oh, you know, lose 10 pounds in 10 days or get your dream bod and fit or change your life in two weeks. Not, you know, but that sells because people, it sells because it's people want that instant. Yeah. yeah, they want that instant. We've, we've really, I think as a society, forgotten what patience is and yeah, being able I, to like graft at something to earn it. Yeah, um, I, I think also there, you know, there's a lot of pseudoscience out there and, you know, like people like Malcolm Gladwell murdered the 10,000 hour rule and totally rewrote what it what Erickson who developed the 10,000 hour rule didn't, didn't, it wasn't what Malcolm Gladwell wrote. Malcolm Gladwell was very good at taking other people's work and making it sound really sexy. The 10,000 hours to mastery is untrue. It's really not. It's not. It's been proven that it's not. Actually, Erickson, who came up with the very original philosophy in his work and his study, said that that's not true. And actually, if you were going to put a number on it, if you think about maybe 20 years, four hours a day, it's, it's a lot longer than 10,000 hours. So, you know... <laughs> it's much much more and that even doesn't you know whatever the numerical number is it doesn't take consideration of every individual and that's what i was picking up yeah. from you around um everyone's situation is different so how people deal with things based on their environment how they mentally process what trauma they've gone through you know what lifestyle they live it's all it's so unique and individualized and i think quite a lot of the narrative or this is what i find uh in the kind of personal development space is quite generic and actually doesn't always it's not really always the best fit for individuals but the work you've obviously done to figure out about shifting your environment actually is a catalyst to then flourish a game changer yeah but and, and that's what works for me it might not yeah. work for someone else and i think that's what what i've realized is that I guess like I, I I would never advise people to do certain things. I would always just share what worked for me. And, I, you know, whether that's just starting off with reading a book that I that had a huge impact on me and it put me into a different uh, pathway of acceptance with with the paralysis. But I was in when I was in Stoke Mandeville, there was 150 beds of in the scene in the adult ward. So that's 150 people who woke up one morning like you've done today. And by the afternoon, they're in a spinal cord hospital being told that they're paralyzed for the rest of their life nobody set out to become paralyzed and though and i don't want to say stupid stuff out loud but there will be people in our sphere who are yet to be paralyzed so there's those there's those who are paralyzed and there's those that are yet to be paralyzed and someone will go well, i'm never going to be paralyzed i don't do base jumping or back country skiing and actually when i was in stoke mandeville 99 percent of the people in there were in there from slips and falls so you don't have to be doing backcountry skiing. And actually what I found very interesting is when you do extreme sports, you enter flow state. So you have to be high, really highly focused. And actually when you slip and fall, it's usually because you're not present. Mm. 
and I watch people who are chasing their tails, they're running out the door, they're in a, a hurry, they jump in their car, and they're not really present in the moment. And that's when stuff can go wrong. And I actually, there was a lot of people I shared hospital, the hospital ward with who had just slipped in their kitchen. Yeah. And I, I, if you, if we really had to unpack that and unravel that, you might say there's a correlation there to, to where they were in their headspace, where they living in the future or the past or where they really fully present in a mindful way. And I think that's the, that's the, one of the real great things with mindful mindfulness training is that it can teach you to be present in the moment. And there's a whole host of great stuff with that, but actually it could also present prevent a spinal cord injury because you're just more in, you're just more aware. And that's for getting behind the car, you know, the wheel of a car, getting on your bike, go, walking on the street. The more aware you are, you actually reduce the risk of of ending up in any sort of spinal cord hospital. And I'm not saying that's not going to, that's the only prevention to, to that. Uh, but I, I find, you know, chatting to people in there, that was a big thing. You know, people have just said, I just, I just fell over one day. I wasn't paying attention. And that's a real, I suppose, um, a real life-changing moment for that person but equally and I've heard you say this before on other podcasts and in person and I know you're a big believer in it but that thought of be where your feet are I remember that from what from you said saying that at the conference it's really stuck with me but the the impact and benefit on every aspect of your life to have that mindset goes beyond just reducing risk of having an accident it is it, it wildly it's life-changing isn't it yeah and that, and that comes from sport it comes from a, a guy that i that i look very much up to in this space who, who's uh, michael jerby and pete carl at seattle seahawks and they always used to say the magic happens in the moment you know be where your feet are and if you're in the super bowl the only place you can be is in the super bowl and mm. uh, you know and I, and I took a lot from that and then I, I guess for me i, I relate that to my own situation and being like well okay i'm in the spinal cord hospital you know, it's pretty hard to be where my feet are because the current situation is, is kind of sucks. But to to fully give and commit to my rehab, to, to and I actually, you know, there's some really beautiful moments in the spinal cord hospital as well, even when times are really, really tough and it's really hard. And, and I think there's some great studies out of Harvard and the longevity study that uh, and a lot of stuff that Arthur Brooks talks about as well around... Um, you know, meaning and suffering and, you know, to have a level of meaning in your life that, that kind of goes hand in hand with some form of suffering as well. And the more we suffer, when we are suffering, we try to extrapolate meaning and ask the questions of, you know, why, why are we here and what is the purpose of this? And one thing I realized in the spinal hospital, actually, you know, it wasn't all bad. Okay, we're all in a really bad situation, but humor was a great thing. I made friends, we laughed. You know, the, the, the sight of a bird landing on the tree outside the ward in the garden was beautiful. It gave me a huge appreciation of flowers and birds and nature. And all of a sudden, where in the past I would have had to go and ski down a hill at 60, 70 mile an hour to get a to get a, an endorphin rush, I was getting a really great appreciation of just watching a bird fly and hop along the grass. And then from that, I was getting, you know, massive releases of, of neurochemistry, which just felt great. And I guess what it did to me is it, it really slowed me down. Mm. And then that goes back to your change thing. It was, you know, that was a pivotal point in my life where I, where I had to change my philosophy, change my, 
values, my needs in life, and really address my own mortality. And I think that the the beauty of looking at your own death, and I think this is a powerful lesson. I know it's not for everybody, but we are all going to die. And I think when we can face that and know that that is a reality, that we're probably more likely to live a more flourishing, meaningful life. And again, this is a luxury. People people can be dealing with some, you know, got to put bills and put a roof over their head and they're not they're not really thinking about flourishing. So I am aware that, that you know, no two people are the same and everyone's situation is, is massively different. But for me, I, I often think back to those times in the spinal cord hospital and there was, there was okay, it, it wasn't a nice place to be, but there was also beauty in some of the real dark moments. And the, I've had that even on an anesthetic table. I've jumped onto an anesthetic table and I've looked around the room and thought, is this the last thing I'm ever going to see? But at the same time, I'm having this beautiful conversation with this complete stranger just about something random. And I'm thinking, wow, this is such a it's such a beautiful, calming moment, even though I'm about to potentially die. So, yeah, it's it, like my life goes in real extremes from sitting facing my death to then, you know, sitting uh, on the top of a mountain about to try and ski again whilst paralyzed. And I think that that you know it just it just shows me that life is is an incredible journey and we're, we're ever so blessed i know there's people struggling on it but you know for the majority of people who are listening to this i you know i hope that they're they, they can find some solace and some fortitude to really see and appreciate just the simple things in life yeah and it, you said simple things there and i'd, I'd actually scribbled that down because i do think sometimes that thought about be where your feet are be present be in the moment because it's when you actually simplify life down that's all we've actually got like yesterday is gone tomorrow you know who knows what tomorrow is going to bring or not but you know we just don't know but I think so often and society I think reinforces this message of you know not wishing your life away but planning what's coming up or looking to the future and don't get me wrong as a coach I love goal setting and there's a real purpose and and place for it um but the more recently I've been speaking to clients about that real nuanced uh, balance of being present and grateful for what you currently have whatever that is whether it's things around you the body you've got the mindset you've got but that still doesn't stop you aspiring to make improvements as in where you want. So I think it's, I think for years I used to think it was one or the other, like it was hard to mm. be in one camp, but I think there's a real beautiful sweet spot where you can be at both. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, it's that, that comes from self-awareness, right? I think mm. that every surgery I've gone into, the first thing I've done before going into the surgery was set a long-term goal. Mm. And then I've been sliced that all the way down to, okay, what's my goal this hour? What's my goal today? And then that helps with the dopamine cycle and then the whole dopamine circuit in the brain. But also it helps me in like, you know, it's like the analogy of making your bed first thing in the morning, you, you've achieved the goal. And I think sometimes when we think of goals, we think of these grandiose, amazing things And sport is very bad for that because sport recognizes Olympics as the, the be end and end all, but that's every four years. What about everything between that? And then you finish one Olympic cycle before you even finish it, people are already planning for the next Olympic cycle. And yep. it's like you're planning your life away. And, it, it, and it's madness to me because once it's all said and done, it's like no one's even going to remember this stuff. And 100 years from now, you know, and, and people go, oh, no, that, you know, that's not right. And I'll, and sometimes I challenge them and say, well, who won the, the 1900 
mm. years. People are like, oh, I have no idea. I said, exactly. I said, in 100, 200 years from now, you know, most of us will be forgotten about. So it's so important. That's not to say don't pursue your dreams and passion. It's very much just be mindful of them, but then also living where your feet are, being in the present moment. And this is why I really struggle in sport because, you know, one day I'm sitting in oncology watching people die and, and all potentially facing my own death. And then going back to to a high-performance sport environment where they're telling me that I need to hit these targets next year, then the following year I'm going to be here, then the following year maybe I'll win a medal. And I'm thinking, oh, if I can only if I can make next week, I'm going to be pretty happy. And if I'm still alive in three years, then I'll be over the moon. And you know, I think that's where I had real conflict internally as, as my values shift. And I think that's really important to realize that your values are something that they're they're not like goals. Values are something that are constantly evolving. And you, you never really reach a value. Mm. You can always inspire to be kinder, be, de- be more compassionate, be more present, be more persistent, more disciplined. But you never really fully get there. Mm-hmm. You never just go to reach discipline as a goal. That doesn't really work that way. And, but every every surgery I've had them and they've given me the drive when it got really hard. But what what I found was that the goal had to be sometimes greater than just myself uh that it that it also you know it, it had to mean something to me and because there was times where I'd won the finish and I'd be like well why did I start in the first place mm. and you know and what I found is that the goals didn't align with the values then there was a lot of friction there and then I was probably living somebody else's uh vision and goal which was for sure where a lot of sports ended up right because so many athletes just want to go to the Olympic Games, but UK sport will tell you, well, unless you win a gold medal, you're a failure. Uh, so, but actually, I remember as a kid, just becoming an Olympian was was an incredible accomplishment. And we've kind of lost that now. And and I, I think that's really sad because not everyone can win. And also success to different people is different things. Uh, so I think that's, you know, it's really key. But I think for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell someone not to have goals. That's been a big part of my life and it still is now. I always have a North Star and I have them across different things where that's development of my of my mind, my body or my craft. There's always something I'm, I'm sort of pursuing and in the pursuit of. And I think that's why, well, it's a whole debate of why we're here. But, um, but I think that, you know, I think, as human beings we need that we need that sort of drive to, to keep going if not we're like well what, what what's the point yeah yeah I, I wholeheartedly agree i think it's the the evolution isn't it we're on this on this planet to evolve through the years and mm. and having that the, the purpose and passion to do whatever and it might not be in your career it might be in other aspects of your life but something that lights your soul on fire that gives you a reason i'm, I'm to- curious i'm curious as well you know you're you're obviously work with a lot of people and you know, people's goals are they, uh, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by sports people who have all these mm. goals. What, you know, the, the normal population, are they, you know, are they earning, are they leaning towards this the internal goal or is it an external validation goal that they search for in your experience? I think it's, I think it's mixed across society. I think from, I think people that are on a journey or quest of this self-discovery self-improvement self-development I think I can understand the intrinsic bit you know the self-growth and that's a real ambition and goal for people I think in my reading on it for society is that we're still attached to these external uh, and it 
the whole the refreshing change or my philosophy on it is that we just we, we need a global redefinition of what the word success actually means because it is very uh, self-prescribed what success looks like for one individual is wildly different and I think it probably from a sports point of view success is that gold medal and if you've not reached it you you you've, you're a failure and again people whether it's in corporate or other aspects of life, if you've not, you know, reached chief exec, if you're not driving this car, if you're not living in this home, then you're not successful. But I do get a real, and this isn't based on any science or data, it's based on a vibe. I get this vibe that there is starting to be a shift to actually, I'm a, this is what the repression change is all about. Am I fulfilled? Am I happy? Am I joyful? Have I got purpose? Have I got meaning? That is what success is. That's beautiful, um, right? You know, and you know where you know where you find that. You find that sometimes with I. I found that in Jamaica, mm. where I, I discovered a little community that lived basically not through choice off the grid. They're just so poor, they're actually not on the grid, mm. and um, they were so happy. They were some of the happiest people I'd ever met in my life. They had contentment. They woke when the sun rose, and they went to bed when the sun set. Their day was full of meaning and purpose and community, movement, eating good foods. Yeah. No screen time. They don't have screens. Yeah. No social comparison to this ideal image that we've been fed that we all have to strive for. So their their internal being was one of just real contentment. Mm. I thought it was beautiful. And someone could say, well, they're not striving for greatness and striving to be the world's the world's best but they're trying to be the best version of themselves. Mm. Which you know, is what so, it's all about, right? Which is, which is what it's all about. And of course, yeah. amongst society, we're all different. So we are going to have people who are going to dominate fields and dominate businesses. And that's great. You know, I, I'm happy for them. Go for it. But for me, I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm at my happiest when I have very little. And this was one thing that based on my death taught me, I actually wanted to, to, to cut away at things. And I think it's beautiful, you know, when Michelangelo was presented to, to design the sculpture of David, he didn't add to it. He cut away. Mm-hmm. So actually by just getting rid of stuff, it's such a it's such a beautiful thing because we we we're, we accumulate stuff. And I think when, you know, when they flash the word death so you can't see it. It just picks up on your subliminal uh, subconscious. People people buy more stuff mm. from what I've from what I've heard and read. And you know, it, it's it's so clear that we're in a, a world of just consumerism and just consumption. Just whether it's food or whatever it may be that we want to consume of, we just want more and more and more of it. And and I don't think that makes us happy. And I think really. I'm at my most happiest when I'm just with nature mm. and being on being on with very, very little. And yeah. I think that's such a you know, to to get to that place and, and I'm only on the journey, like like so many of us, uh, and trying to work this stuff out. But um I think having a first for good conversations, avoid I avoid all gossip. I don't want to really know like I, I stay informed with what's going on in the world, but I don't want to get sucked into someone's drama triangle and yeah and just be caught up in all of this like he said, she said and all that stuff is just it's just noise. And even just even just talking about that there, I could feel my whole cellular inside change 
so I'm very much you know again back be where my feet are try and be with good people and that, and that can also you know sometimes you have to cut some people out of your life that not it's not just cutting stuff Mm -hmm. I've also cut people from my life that I you know I've thought actually you know this is not if I'm thinking if we all think of what would be our Michelangelo masterpiece mm -hmm. sometimes we actually have to cut people away yeah. that might involve some tough conversations uh but you know I've I've also done that in, in my life because I realized that time is the most important thing we have and yeah. there was when I when I did my memento mori, which I sometimes do, which is your uh, you know meditating on your own death. Sorry, I've mentioned that word so many times today. I, I won't going forward, but okay. I realized if I if I'm 45 now and I make it to 85, that's 470 odd months, 2,000 odd weeks, 300 and probably 50, 40,000 hours now. If I'm only seeing one of my best friends once every few years, that means I'm only ever going to see him a couple of times before I die. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that it takes around 200 hours to really nurture a relationship. I don't want to spread myself thin, and especially with some of the wrong people. So, uh, you know, I might visit a friend that I was friends with when I was 20, and we just, we like, he's maybe not evolved as much as maybe I have. And, and that's okay. That's not wrong. He's doing, he's on his path. But then I realized, wow, I've just wasted an hour investing this in somebody that, I don't really want to invest my time there. I'm going to find people that that really nourish me, and and I think it's known as pans. I think it is positive and negative affect. Mm. So, and I always say to myself that I want to have a positive affect on people. I want people if I meet people, they go away going, oh, I feel good. That was nice. That was a nice conversation. And and that's the vice versa. I also want to meet people where I leave and I feel I feel good. And that's one of the reasons I think probably that I struggle so much in London because it's such a fast-paced place that people don't have the time to pause and just be mindful of what is my affect mm. another person yeah yeah i've heard do you heard it that way before but they talk about radiators and drains yes does someone drain you or does someone yeah. um, radiate a bit yeah. of positive energy but you yeah know, there's, sorry for interrupt. There's a really good thing you can do to that friend who comes around the house to complain all the time. It's just to record them <laughs> and then play it back to them and ask them, would you want to listen to you? <laughs> That's a great shout. Um, if anyone, if any listeners do that, I'd love to hear the outcome. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. When you come back to like time, you know, we've only got one life and you hear all those kind of um I've saw that floating around Instagram recently, but you know, you've we've all got two lives, and the second one begins when you realise you've only got one. And actually, going out like our time is one thing that we never ever get back. So how you spend it is so valuable. But I think a lot of the stuff we're chatting about, David, which is amazing, but almost stems from having the self awareness to understand yourself in this context. So, and I know you've done a, a ton of work. Um, you've mentioned the word values a lot and it's an area that I work with with clients I think it's a fascinating topic so what was that quite a, a pivotal part of your journey have you known your values for a long time or is that is that come later what's the what's well I think I think you know I, I sort of believe that our actions are a, a mirror of our inner values mm. we've all got them you know what car we choose what we choose to wear what we choose to pursue in life 
it's what we value and i think if we go back to like i guess social psychology we first identify then we categorize and then we compare and when we find that category usually in primary school the jocks are together the nerds are together the goths are all sorts of that this was the split at my school you know the shinty team where we were all together with our shinty sticks and you sort of that's your categorize and i guess i categorized myself as a, as a sportsman i always identified as a sportsman and that built all my friendships and my my relationships and I guess the values of team sport then became very prolific because I started in a team sport so it was all about you know respect it was about teamwork discipline persistence courage all of these sort of values and at the same time I did karate which was a more of an individual sport but karate was very much again about resilience persistence respect courage you know managing your fear getting out of your comfort zone uh, you know, be, being more present in the moment. And I believe those sports actually all ultimately conditioned me to be able to deal with cancer, to be able to deal with paralysis, because the same values sort of that work there also work in the in the hospital ward. I just lived that, as we all do. Uh, when I became really interested in it was probably in 2016, when I was paralyzed, somebody gave me Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, that's when I first started to really delve down into the world of, of mindset. And then that led me to all the, the great leaders and minds that we, we probably all listen to and follow on online now. And I, I think along that journey, I started to realize, okay, well, my goals are kind of shifting from being an athlete to winning and plus just with age and transition through sport anyway, it always comes to an end. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize, I was like, well, okay, I'm starting to feel some internal friction. Like, I'm not very happy. So, like, well, okay, I'm paralyzed. That's That kind of sucks. So, I, I understand I'm not going to be happy about being paralyzed. I'm also facing scans every six months to tell if I'm going to die. That's also not not the greatest of news. But amongst all of that, why why am I not happy? Why is David not happy? So, then that's when I started to do the work. I started to look at, like, okay. First of all, I wanted to find out what my my guiding principles were in life. Who did I want to be? And I, I found through all of this journey that I wanted to be more compassionate. I wanted to be more present. I wanted to be a better friend, lover, wife, husband, whatever it may be, son, daughter. I just wanted to be a better in relationships. I wanted to be a bit more disciplined, a bit more organized, a bit more persistent, a bit more great, be more grateful. So what I realized was that when people ask what, you know, what you do, and we all identify with what we do, okay, I'm an athlete or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a banker, but there's so much more to us, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're so much more. That's just a part of who we are and something that we do. And okay, we form a lot of identity from it, but it, it started to start to think, well, who, you know, who really am I at the core, but who do I also want to be more of? And I think that it's easy to just do more. But okay. if we work on being more, then the doing kind of takes care of itself. So if we if we work on just if our goal is to to get a promotion at work, if we just work on the guiding values and principles of be more disciplined, be more you know have better time management, be more consistent, then if you do that as a value, then ultimately the, the outcome it will will take care of itself, and then you can detach from the outcome and be more present. I think one of the gateways to being where your feet are is really identifying with your values and who you are as a person. The next thing that I I did was that that's great. I know my guiding principles, so that can kind of help me write almost like a personal philosophy of who David is. 
mm-hmm. and what he wants to bring to the world. I then was like, well, what does what's his needs? Mm. What what does he value? Because ultimately, if he's going to be in a relationship with somebody or with people, he needs to express his needs, but also to flourish, you need to know what your needs are. So we obviously all it's going back to like Maslow's hierarchy and needs. Like we all need, you know shelter wood uh, safety air water but what's what's beyond that and not not looking at self-actualization just what what makes you flourish so i right away i needed i needed health health was a real big thing that i value but i really value my health and you can either move towards that value or move away from it mm-hmm. so all the decisions i make in life are to move me towards health i eat the right foods i go to bed at the right time to get good sleep i exercise i move and with people, because all of that moves me towards health, nature, to be in nature. I need nature. That's so key for me. I need to wake up and be with animals and grass and mountains and rivers. I, I need that. And then I need my exercise and my sport. I need to be able to move. Not, not at a competitive level. I just like to go out. It was a big part of my identity is sport. But also when I go and do sport, I get into a flow state, which then means i'm not thinking of cancer and surgery and hospitals and paralysis i feel like i'm free so that's super super important for for me and then then belonging people friends i'm an extrovert so i i love to be with people and those those four things are like my non-negotiables and i and i have and you have to like i dial down on them and it causes a lot of friction in relationships because i'm like i need these for me to, to flourish. Now that might mean that I need to move location. I might need to give up a job and go somewhere else, but you've got to ask yourself that, okay, you might have to take some radical decisions, but we only live once. And we know we come into this life on an inhale and we leave on an exhale. Two defining breaths, the biggest defining breaths you will ever take. But every breath between them is also as defining. And you can either sleep through those breaths or be awake. And if you're awake, it might mean you have to have some difficult conversations. You have to wrestle with some difficult challenges because that's having meaning. And then you have pleasure on the opposite side of the coin. I think if you only have meaning, then you become pretty, you can become pretty intense and pretty boring. I think you also need to have pleasure. You need to have hedonistic and unidonomatic. Because if you're pure, but if you're purely just pleasure, then your life has no meaning. Then you're going to feel quite empty. But I think on both sides of those coin, like any ten pence, fifty pence coin, there's two sides. I think you you need to balance of both. And I often have to remind myself as a as a sort of fifth value. Hey, be fun, David. Mm. Like happiness, you know. Enjoy, have a laugh. It's not always about being serious and trying to find the philosophy of life go out clown around and have fun i think that's super important i think it's great to do the work but at the same time you know have those friends that are kind of stupid and are maybe not doing the work because that can be so light-hearted and and it can just be a bit of a reality check sometimes like okay you know what life is also about enjoyment and having fun yeah oh god i love all that um you were saying about sleep or awake I think I wrote something on this the other week around like are you living with intention or just on autopilot and I think there's a lot of autopilot happening Mm, um just just through life and I and I want to almost rewind to what you said about 
when you were seen as an individual athlete, it was all about me, 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 almost at the detriment of whatever else is going on around me. You guys crack on, but I'm on this path. And I think when people try and instill that in their own life, not necessarily through sport, just but just aspects of like, I'm going to claw an hour back for me this week, or I'm going to make the right choice and decision for me in this situation. I think people often find it to be selfish. You know, I, I think we could reframe that to self-care. Yeah, well, I... I Is that I, where I, you were going? <laughs> yeah, I love the reframe. And I keep saying this, but it's like self-fool rather yeah. than selfish. Yeah. Because yeah. actually by... I just think the world would be such a happier place if everyone was true to who they were, but also being able to communicate that to other people in terms of like, for me to live my best life, here's what I need to flourish, exactly like you're saying. Yeah. And if you tell me what you need to flourish, then I'll support you on your journey and equally you can support me on mine. And I we'll need all... to know what your needs are. If, yeah. we, if we were in a relationship, okay, you know mine, but I, I, mean, I need to know yours. And then actually, if I love you, then I'm going to put your needs in front of mine. But if you love me, you'll put my needs in front of yours. So then some way in that, we, we yeah. find a, a balance. And I don't mean they use the word compromise. I don't, I don't know if I like that word, but I don't like it. I don't like it. I think it's too hard a word. And and it's like, I, I think there's ways of really communicating and, and being mm. with each other to a level of like, well, what, what do you need? Yeah. You know, and what do I need? And I, and I think a lot of the guys I've worked with recently, that's what they're saying to me. They're like, wow, you know, I've not had this conversation with my partner and we've been together 10 years. And it's like, well, how do you know what they need? And they're like, don't know. We just kind of like mosey on and we have big arguments, make up sex and then get on with life. And, and yeah. it's like, you know, it, it, it really, it, I started to really think about this the last few weeks. It's like, wow, I wonder how many people are in a relationship and they don't know their partner's needs. Mm. And, and I think that's, I think that's a, a, an important conversation to have. Yeah, for sure. And the, the, the pre- tends to that is the you have to know what your own needs are I think that's the that's the, the first bit is that a lot of people can't communicate their needs because they don't they've not done the work on themselves to figure out what my needs are so it all stuck all comes back and every every aspect of life it comes back to self doesn't it around yeah. having the self-awareness asking yourself yeah. you said about I've scribbled my notes who am I the question right. I love to ask myself is why am I the way I am so it's like the second mm -hmm. layer of it that's deep blows my mind i love it i know that uh, i was listening to a great michael gervais talk the other day and he said that he he, got, he summed this up quite beautifully he said you know your your brain's your hardware your mind's your software mm. and your parents were your computer programmers mm. they're not world-class programmers so you're getting this program by these people who are trying their best but they were programmed from their parents and grandparents and so 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 on and all the way back and i think with robert sapolsky at stanford there was a lot about actions that we display now to understand them fully, we have to go minutes behind, hours behind, weeks behind, all the way to like we're a fetus and then go to our grandparents, our great grandparents and our ancestors. And then somewhere there, we'll get an answer to why we act the way we act. Mm -hmm. And and that just shows that it's so powerful. But what I love about, about this is that as adults, especially after ma the maturation of the prefrontal cortex past the age of 28, 25 to 28, so in our 30s and 40s and 50s and so on, we, we can reprogram. Mm. And if you've got gremlins in there that you're not really, you know, if you're still running on iPhone 1 and we're now on iPhone 20, you kind of owe yourself an update. Mm. And, you know, and that update just gets the whole system running better. There might be tabs 
you know, I, I was in the Apple shop a few weeks ago and someone was telling me their computer was running mega slow. And when they opened the app, the person had 200 tabs open. And, and that's much like our minds. Life, like life. Life, mm -hmm. we've got like multiple millions of tabs open in our brains and we're thinking of this and that. We just run slower and we don't really get good sleep. And if we're not getting good sleep, we're making poor food choices. Then we're going to be more irritable. And it sort of all plays into, into one. And I think it's been compassionate to our programmers to know that they did their best. Some of us had better programmers than others. Uh, some, you know, some of us, it's not what happened to us. It's what didn't happen to us. You know, like I was an example of that. You know, I, my, my dad never told me he was proud of me. And that had massive impact on me. Now, he wouldn't know that. He, you know, he's obviously running on his program, whereas maybe don't show weakness, don't show kindness or love because it's weak and I'm a man and I need to like discipline, discipline and actually not realizing that a big part of building a, a grounded all round human being is installing good self-talk, giving someone a level of autonomy and giving someone a level of belonging, nurturing them, nourishing them. You know, letting them discover, giving them levels of curiosity and, you know, installing some good values into them, and virtues, showing them what's right and wrong, not just telling them, well, you need to work harder and go and do this. And, you know, if you think a lot of the program when we're kids, you know, you're even at school, you're asking, well, what do you want to be? And someone will turn around and go, I want to be a national. And the teacher turns around, no, don't be so stupid. You'll never do that. Well, somebody has to be a national. But just by merely telling them, no, you won't do it. As kids, we are met so often with, you'll never do this. You'll never do that. You know, you know, be seen and not heard. All of these things. And, and you just think, wow, these are all like gremlins in our systems that we have to work out later in life. And then when we end up in a relationship, we're all bringing stuff to the party. Yeah, bring your, like bring your bags. Yeah, bring your baggage. Bags and, you know, and, but we're all turning up with something. We're all turning up with our mom, our grandparents, our dad. They're all there. Yeah. And what we don't, we're maybe not aware of what you were saying earlier on about self-awareness and about our values. A lot of people are not aware of their tripwires. Mm. You know, what really grates on you? What, you know, what really gets you wound up? What does your husband or your wife do that, or partner that just gets your teeth and hair going, Argh. that's your tripwire. They might not know it. So you need to communicate and say, hey, you know, when when you express this is actually bringing up some stuff from the past that that we've never discussed and that that, you know, it really it's triggering a lot of uh, past experiences. So then you get the worst of me yeah. and this is the why you're getting the worst of me. And that might even be down to watching a movie on Netflix. Yeah. You know, yeah. it might bring up some trauma for some people watching something and person in the room's not aware of that. So you know self-awareness communication yeah it, it's all it's all so vital and I think sometimes or often what I've found is that our our needs as adults can all often be a reflection of our unmet needs as a child so it's understanding mm -hmm. it and it's the work I've done not just for myself but working with clients now to to almost go back to understand to give us a grounding in why are we the way we are not necessarily for some things I believe we can change and we can do the reprogramming and and change what we want but some stuff is just about acceptance like I understand this part of me Absolutely. and where it, where it comes from and I accept it and I forgive the past and I can now optimize my future based on this information 
And that's huge. And, you know, like I can't change being paralyzed. Mm. I'm always going to be paralyzed unless somebody has a cure. But if I spend my whole life angry and in a a resentment, then that's going to be my life. That's my story. And then that's my, that's my story. And I also think, okay, David, if your life was to be a a book and a a movie, what would you want it to be? And I'm like, well, action, adventure, comedy, that's, that's mine. And I'm thinking, well, I I can write that. But Mm -hmm. if I stay stuck in the anger and not accepting the paralysis, then I'll become mentally paralyzed. And, And I've met a lot of people who are not physically paralyzed, but they're mentally paralyzed because they're stuck with this thing that happened and okay you can't change the thing that happened if you weren't picked for the school sports team and you hate sport and you hate athletes then okay you can't go back to change that but like you say in the right environment with the right person i think you owe yourself you know to do to do the therapy to do the work whatever you want to call it just have those conversations in in lean on lean on the right person so you can then you know change what the the conclusion or the end chapters of your book are and and then some people can't right and again that's you know there's no right and wrong here some people just have maybe had so much trauma that they they can't look back on it but i you know that's why i would never sort of try and advise people and tell them what to do i just sort of think well this is stuff that's kind of helped me and i'm trying to work it out but i know that when i do x and why it kind of I feel better inside and I feel more happy and I think that's it's really down to just getting to know who I was as a person communicating those needs and just being clear I've been clear on them and then saying okay you know every day I get to the end of the day I journal I, I write down three things that went well that day mm-hmm. uh, and there can be little things and also three things that that I feel sometimes that David didn't do so well at and how can I do better tomorrow? Mm. And that for me kind of started me off in a bit of journaling. And um, yeah, and, and it's quite a cathartic process to to sit and reflect on where you were a good person, but also maybe you showed up today with some attributes that weren't so great. Maybe someone cut you up and you stuck the finger up at them. <laughs> That's maybe not who you want to be if you're working on being a more empathetic, compassionate person it, that action didn't reflect your internal first principle yeah so being aware of that yeah embodying those values the one thing just when you're saying there about the um i don't know if you've ever heard it put like this but www.ebi what worked well even better if i've never heard that yeah even reframing the what wasn't so great about today is to how could it be better tomorrow rather than sitting in that um just a wee, wee, wee one I thought you'd like. like um, one of the things I was going to say, because actually we've kind of t- we've thrown the word trauma around quite a bit and that mm. kind of understanding and the programming. And one thing I want to just make clear for the listeners is that some of this stuff we're aware about in our conscious and loads of it we're unaware of. So um, do you know, like, getting laughed at in class you might not actually logically consciously remember that memory but it it you know maybe as an adult you're a people pleaser but until you do the work and figure out and go back so if people because I used to be one of those people I used to be like oh my childhood was a breeze everything was fine um and I had a really life-changing hypnosis session with my coach which took me back to gymnastics as a seven-year-old where I was removed from my vaulting group because I couldn't do it was a failure 
and I have now as an adult, a 35 year old who have, have, you know, I've been in the personal development space for a decade and been coaching for a number of years, this fear of failure started coming up for me. And it was all based on that. Right. Come up with a small T, but unprocessed yeah. emotion about being isolated as a six, seven year old that stuck with me. So I, just to make the point that I'm not saying everyone's got trauma, but everyone will have some program based on their experience and, and what's happened to them in life. One thing I was going to ask you, this is about the sidebar, but you said about your book or movie, who would play in your life movie? Oof, crikey. And you, you answer on a postcard if you can't think of one just now, but I just wondered if you had any ideas. You know, I know he's not an actor, but Eric Little. Right, nice. Okay. The character he portrayed in Chariots of Fire, I think, was for me that's something that I again I don't want to say I think athletes should be Eric Liddell, but I think that he was somebody who was very clear on values, virtues, had a talent, showed his talent to the world, but always remained very humble, didn't chase fame or pursue fame or or any of that. Was very true to who he was as a human. So um, he's a big uh, big hero of mine. Nice. I don't know if he'd be a good actor, but <laughs> he was certainly a, a, a great human being. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, David, well, I've, I've gone off script with all of my questions, which I knew would happen. Yeah, I knew but, that would happen. But, but, well, I knew too, but it's, um, there's been so much in that that I could have asked you a hundred follow-up questions on every different topic. But um, it's been really apparent that one thing I wanted to just quickly dive into was that kind of mind-body connection. And you've talked about it before in terms of the, I suppose, 2016, after becoming paralysed, that, you know, you changed your environment to then help with your cognitive. So, again, what's you, been your experience of some of that mind-body connection in terms I, of... I love that you say word mind-body because I think sometimes you, some people say mind and body oh right okay yeah i hear like oh your mind and your body but they are one right if um you know your eyes are spinal cord and your eyes are brain and i think if you think of the eyes then behind the eyes where if they're to, we'll make it really simple right there's two there's some cables and those cables run into the back of the brain down the brain stem down into your central nervous system that affects all your peripheral nerves your breathing your heart rate the visual cortex is um you know, Andrew Huberman dives deep into the visual cortex and what the, the power of it. But I think that for me, not not separating brain, brain and body, that brain body is all mind body is all one thing where this and then you can dive into soul and then free will and, and your religious beliefs, which is a whole other conversation. Right. But uh, I think that I, I like on certain levels, I um depending on who I'm talking to and, and where I am mm. spiritually, scientifically, is that sometimes I see that my body is just a vessel for my soul to have a human experience. Oh, I love that. Um, that's quite deep for some people. And some people are like, what the hell does that mean? Mm. I'm not entirely sure what that means myself. If I'm being honest, I just, I think part of accepting that before I was paralyzed, I was very much human doing after paralysis i've changed and i've had to change to be human being because if i was just trying to do things i i, I can't do them i can't run i can't really walk i so I, I have to really learn to be 
And then as part of my acceptance, I seen that that my body is just this vessel that that's and I'm getting to experience this journey and my soul is experiencing this journey and this greater power of these experiences and my body is just the vessel for me to experience that and I've been very fortunate in my life that I, I had a lifetime of sport and that can sometimes make it harder to be paralyzed than 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 if I had never done sport but I look back in my hospital bed and you know when you're lying in your hospital bed and you're kind of fighting for your life or you have acceptance that you're about to die and you're just holding on to those few last breaths thoughts and memories uh the accumulation of stuff really doesn't matter it's it's memories and memories come from experiences but experiences are only stored if you can savor the moment so we're back to being where your feet are yeah. being present in the moment so you can savor those moments there's too often i see people having conversations with friends and they're on their phones and they they leave that conversation that, like it's a given they're going to see them again mm-hmm. how often do you leave and say yeah see you later yeah you might die you might, yeah. you might never see them again and it's not to say that you have to hug it out and cry every time you leave somebody but just again it's been mindful it's been mindful being like you know what i've really enjoyed our conversation today it's been great being with you you know i, I love your friendship to bits and, and I'll, I'll, I'll see you soon mm-hmm. okay it's an extended goodbye for maybe someone you'd see every day but it's never leaving on an argument mm-hmm. i i always if i fall out with somebody in my close-knit family I always try not to leave in an argument because mm. I'm like, what if I go out and get hit by a car? Mm. Our last part in words were, yeah. Then I die with that energy in my body, mm. and you then live the rest of your life with, I wish I hadn't said that. Mm. But when you're lying in the hospital, you have all these memories and you play your life back, and okay, there might be the other thing going on. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that, mm. uh, but. But the majority of things are like, God, you, you don't want to say, I wish I had. It's, mm. so much, and it's so much better to say, well, I wish I hadn't. Mm. And it, it, you don't want to go, well, what, what if I'd just taken that holiday? What if I'd just taken that that chance? You know, what if I'd just got out of my comfort zone and just, you know what, if I just said, you know what, this life I'm living right now is not fulfilling my needs. I'm not flourishing. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change. And then you have this whole other life. Mm. And, you know and I realized when I was lying in my hospital bed I was like wow okay you know I've done some made mistakes and everything but actually I looked back and thought well I know what it's like to to ski all over the world or to do karate in Japan or whatever it may be in my sport and life the the one thing I left with was not medals it was friendships it was experiences like I had one guy who phoned me once. He didn't make it to the games, and he was disappointed. He was like, "Oh, you know, my life, it was a waste of eight years." And I said, "No, I said, you know, you get so focused on the outcome that the road that takes you there is actually the most beautiful thing." And mm. I said, "You know, think about some of those training sessions we had in Italy, and then we went for pizza, and it was all we're all laughing and joking." And he's like, "Oh, yeah, right enough." I said, "Yeah, those were the moments that when I was lying in my hospital bed about to die." I wasn't thinking about standing on the podium. I was thinking of all those special moments I'd had throughout my life that really meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And we all have them. You don't have to stand on the Olympic podium to have them. We have them daily. Mm-hmm. It's just 
the more present we can be, the more we can appreciate mm. those little things. And it's just been, you know, I always say to people, how many people were aware this morning they woke up, they had feet and legs that carried them out the door? Mm. Probably no one said gratitude for that. I want, I'm going to give, I'm going to say no, but a lot of people probably did, but a lot of people probably didn't have the awareness of it either. And it's not until you lose something where you go, oh, I just wish. And I, I just know that from my personal level, mm-hmm. when I lost the left side of my body and I, and I can't feel anything. I'm just like, oh, I just wish I'd taken one more turn on the ski slope. I just wish I'd gone swimming one more time, or I just wish I'd ran gone for that 5k run one just one more time and i think that's the important thing when when we live is to you know to get after it don't, don't just turn up to life mm. you've got to show up if you're just turning up then it's just going you you might as well just be sat on a train watching life go past mm. yeah i love that it's the as cliche as it is, and I'm not a big fan of the old cliche but the it's about the journey not the destination like the and as much I won't backtrack on what we said about the goals and the importance of it but also the true fulfillment never comes if we're always chasing the end result because there will always be a next goal an evolution of what that goal is so it is about the the fulfillment and joy and happiness comes from the appreciation of of the journey that of that we're on the day-to-day isn't it I think there was a beautiful question that that someone asked me once if you were to win the world cup in football we use football as a metaphor if you were to win the world cup in football without coming through the rounds and without playing a minute of the final Mm. would you take that over fighting through the rounds almost losing having a penalty shootout then getting to the final and winning on penalties Mm. and i just automatically went well i'd want to come through the rounds i'd want i'd want the fight some people actually said no I would just like I would like to win it without putting the work in Mm. that tells you a lot about so ask yourself that question right now you know would you what's your biggest goal in life would would you like to wake up tomorrow and just have it there Mm. like to do the work to get it Mm. It, it's a I mean that's growth and fixed mindset right there isn't it but it's it's also that analogy of an I hear it often about people that win the you know the win the lottery overnight and then mm-hmm. 18 months later are bankrupt so you mm-hmm. can achieve your goal but if you're not elevating self at the same time then we can't step into that next version of who we are we can't you know the work you did not just physically but mentally to win that gold medal do you know same in, in the hospital bed the work that you did physically to rehab and mentally do you know it's we have to level up mind and body to then step I, into that that new I enjoyed the process of learning to walk mm. if someone had said to me okay all you need to do is that and you'll walk tomorrow and walk out of the hospital yeah you have to learn to walk I and this might people might not believe me but I would actually say I'll take the work mm. because I learned more about myself when I fell over than I ever did walking Mm-hmm. moments where I fell and I had to work out how, how did I get off the ground mm-hmm. then it's like okay Dave are you strong enough mentally physically emotionally spiritually to to get up get onto your Zimmer frame and go again mm-hmm. and I believe that I probably grew more as a person in those 
lonely hours in a hospital ward than I ever did anywhere else in, in, in my life uh, because that's when I was most tested mm. because there is no one watching you. It's just you and you can lie and do whatever you want, but it's just you. And the lessons I learned that to, to manage the pain, the excruciating pain in my neck, the mental pain, the, the frustration, the anger, the everything, the stuff that, that I went through and on every time not just i've had six surgeries now i know i was going to say we've not even really dived into that logical every time i've i've grown as a human being mm. and i would never say i'm wise or an expert in anything but all i know is that every time i've sat and been told that i'm diagnosed and i have to go for a surgery then the walk from the bed to the anesthetic room to feel the anesthetic go in to then close my eyes and then to wake up to have had my neck cut open and all sorts of stuff going on within the five or ten hour surgery or whatever surgery it may have been to then accept that and then to be like right okay I now need to build again my first surgery I went in as a hundred kilo GB lower and I left hospital as a 65 kilo patient mm -hmm. And I couldn't look in a mirror. And then I was like, wow, how, how do I even get back to the 100 kilo rower? Mm. Um, and that's thin slicing your goals, thin slicing everything. Okay, like I broke down every 0, 0700 had a goal, 0, 0800 had a goal, 0, 0900 had a goal. Now that wouldn't work for me now. That worked for me 13 years ago. That level of intensity doesn't work now. That's where I've had to develop more of a philosophical approach to it. But the underlying principles are still the same. Still show up, get the goals, be disciplined, uh, the growth mindset side of things. And I think this is the when we go all the way back to change, right? It's I'm not going to say it's easy to intellectualize this stuff because it's not. It's even harder to apply it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know if this resonates with you and your journey, David, but it's also you can intellectualize it but you can also have like the awareness mm. that that even isn't creating change it's then the action it, I, I notice it in in myself and in other people is when your behaviors have fundamentally shifted based on the awareness you've got and the the lesson and learning that you've done you then start showing up as a different person your nervous system is less triggered you maybe use different language you've got a different response to something like that for me is the definition of growth and you and you can't do it alone, right? Yeah. You're, you're yeah. A coach, you know this. You you take people and you help them. You can't do it for them, mm. but you also can't do it your do it yourself. You need your friends, your family, and I think it's it's also knowing who's in your network and who you can lean on for certain things. Like if I want to talk complete nonsense and just stupidity, I know the friend to go to. And I actually said to him last week, I said, you know what I love about you, Brian. It's just nonsense we talk. And he's got a serious job. He works in mountain rescue. So he's dealing with a lot of intense stuff. So actually when we hang out, we just talk nonsense and it's actually beautiful. Then I'm like, well, if I want a real deep, deep spiritual moving conversation, I also know who to go to. Mm. But, and, it, and it's knowing that like you, you especially as an extrovert, I, you, you can't get through. And I think that was a beauty. Even as an individual sports person, if you are an individual sports person, you're just a team behind you. You have your physios, your strength coach, your nutritionists. You don't, 
like I, I, I love skiing. Skiing is one of my favorite sports and I, I'm very fortunate to, to have worked on the national team for a little while. And a lot of my friends are still, you know, coaching on the World Cup circuit. And, you know, when you're the skier in the gate, it's just you and whether you're slalom, downhill, whatever it may be between you and the finish line. But to get you into that start line, there's a serviceman, there's a coach, there's the, the masseuse, the nutritionist, the psych, there's all these people. And then on the course, you've got coaches giving course reports. You've also got someone in the start line, you've got someone in the bottom, then you've got your friends and your family. So there's this bigger thing, even though it's only you that's pushing out the gate, there's this whole group of collective minds and bodies and souls and spirits that have all got you there. They're on the journey with you. Mm. Uh, and I think that's... That's just what's beautiful about life, even whether you're a, you know, a, an artist performing in the West End like your sister does. There's, it's, you know, she's there doing the performance. But you said to me before we got come on this, you you were you were with her on the stage. But mm -hmm. even though you were in the audience, you were you were living every movement she made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so part that, you know, whatever people's walks of life are, it's finding the right team around you, isn't it? And it comes back to exactly what you were saying about being intentional about their relationships, understanding your needs, being able to communicate them, whether that's family, friends, colleagues, you know, neighbours, whoever it is in your, that live in your world, are they there to help you towards where you're wanting to try and get to? Or are they detrimental towards that? And for some people, and I've had this conversation with someone before, but sometimes there's those people in life that we can't fully get rid of or let go of, but we minimise our interaction or we, we put up a boundary or we're clear about when it suits us best to then engage with that person. Do you know, so it's, yeah. it, it comes back to that, uh, you know, some of the real positive lessons, I think individual sports people are living that, you know, I'm on my path. And I think we could, as, what would I say, as the rest of society that aren't in elite sport, we could learn a little bit from that. About I, I think that, that comes down to a lot of Daniel Goldman's work with emotional intelligence. And, and you know, I had this in hospital. I had, I had a physio that didn't, we didn't align we, our philosophies our values didn't align i was very much like i'm gonna smash this and walk out of here and she was very much like well no you're never gonna walk again you know this is your new life and it was all very she was over compassionate mm. and i did at that point i didn't need compassion i needed someone to push me i needed someone to be like come on get in the gym let's work let's work let's move so we really clashed and I wasn't probably emotionally intelligent enough to think, how do I get the best out of this person? Mm. I was just like, everything coming in clashing with her. And it just, it was, it was not a nice relationship. But looking back and reflecting on that, I could have come in and been like, okay, you know, like I get it, I get where you're coming from, but let's learn about each other as people, mm. like who we are, as, like what's our personality types, who we are as a person. And then you'll get to understand that actually, this is what I need as a patient. And I think this is something that where the spinal hospital kind of went a little bit wrong was that they they didn't pair the physio. And okay, this is an ideal world, right? But if they could have paired the physios with the patients based on personality types and needs, then you have a whole different dynamic. Because when I left the Stoke Mandeville, I went to a private rehabilitation center. It was based off the Christopher Reeve, a place called Neurokinics. And they had some American trainers there. And the first day I went in there, she's like, I had to meet her. Get rid of that stick. You're here to work. And I was like, yes. <laughs> now, there have been some other people who would have just burst into tears and started crying. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so 
that it's it's really known who you're working with, who you're who you're in love with, who you work with, getting to really know your colleagues at work, you know, what not just what they do as a job, but who what their values are, what their needs are, what their passions are, away from just the person you see every day. And I think that's such a great uh, investment to make because then you get you just get so much more out of people. And I look back and I had a similar incident in 2018 in a surgery when the physio, young physio, rocked up to the bed and said, look, here's a stick. I'm going to get you to walk because she's working from a checklist. Well, can he stand? Can he walk? Can he wash? Right, We can get him out. Mm-hmm. And I just said to her, look, OK, we're going to dive into a little conversation. You, you don't know who I am. You don't know how driven I am and you don't know that all I want to do is walk out here and then go and cycle across the Alps. And you can see her looking on this guy's nutcase. And I said, no, but I want to explain to you about my drive. But I also want to explain to you about self-efficacy. And if you put me on that stick right now and I fall, I lose all self-confidence. I lose self-efficacy. Then I go into a spiral of depression. And then that's not good. Where if you bring me a Zimmer frame and I can walk, then think of the difference. Then I'm like, wow, I walked. Huge releases of dopamine huge release of like endorphins I've achieved the goal you've boosted my self-confidence mm-hmm. then I'm like well okay I have the strength to do this so then I have an increase of self-efficacy then I'm like wow okay right and then you encourage me with your words mm-hmm. then we also hit a, an intrinsic motivation factor so all of a sudden then we've had this great session and look at the two different ones she gives me the walking stick, I fall over, I shower at her, she gets upset, she goes to her next patient and that's an ongoing thing for her. She goes home to her boyfriend, they fall out because she's in a bad mood yeah. and it goes on. Where actually, just by pausing, having that moment with someone, then she has a great experience. I go to bed feeling happy, my partner phones me, ah, hey, you'll never guess what, I managed to walk on a Zimmer frame today, I'm so happy, this is amazing, then she's really happy which then she goes into her meetings that she's really happy the physio goes home to her boyfriend going you'll never get this guy walked today on the zimmer frame he took 10 steps it was amazing we had this beautiful moment what a difference just because you've thought out of the box and not followed the spreadsheet Mm, you've been more you've been more human you've had a humanistic approach rather than a methodical robotic approach and you've just you've managed to hold the space between stimulus and response just to be with that person and that's ultimately what compassion and empathy is i don't want sympathy but just to sit with someone and go i'm not going to try and fix you just sit with you and listen and you explain your needs and then i'll be like i'll go get the zimmer frame Mm -hmm. um that was such a different session and then me and her got on really really well and then within a few days i was on the stick and within a few days i was off home And I suppose in that situation, um, it's also you being able to advocate for your needs. So again, it, it all comes back to if we know ourselves well enough that we can communicate and advocate for them in any situation. And it, it, the healthcare system is one that I've got quite strong views on. But this it, this um, one, fi- one size fits all approach isn't right. So exactly like you say, going in and having one approach with someone based on their personality, their values, their you know passion and purpose in life. That's so vital to to anyone's journey in anything, whether it's I'm, rehab or whether it's a yeah. career progression or whatever. So it, it has to come back to to, to person, person centered, I suppose. Yeah. And 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 being able to hold space for the person and not coming with, you know, I guess like past schemas. 
So if you've had all these bad experiences, then you just turn out and go, here's another patient. Oh, he's yeah. being awkward. It's the awkward patient. Yeah. I, and then also being as the patient and going, well, I don't want to be the awkward patient, but, but I understand that you're tired, you're overworked, you've probably had a long day. I want what's best for you, but I want, I know myself really well. And I know that I'm not going to be the patient lying here, not wanting to go home, you know, so let's just have that space with each other for a little bit. So you understand who I am as a person and then we can, we can work together. And and I think that, you know, yeah, I guess the lessons I've learned from where it went wrong in hospital and then that discussion I had in 2018, because I wanted to have a positive affect on people. I didn't want to be, the awkward patient i just knew what i needed but i think i had to learn and how i communicate that in a very kind considerate way that's based on my first principles not just i'm not i'm get rid of that stick and bring me a zimmer frame and just being angry and 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 you know that and that's tough for these the you know the the, the people who come to your bedside because they don't know what they're going to get they might get a a complete bear with a headache or they might get someone who's really, really nice. And I always, I always made a point when I was in hospital to always just, and again, this is my philosophy out of hospital, be a good human being. Mm. Try to make humor is a big important thing to me. I try to make people laugh, even when I was getting bed baths. You know, when you're getting a bed bath because you've pooed yourself, it's pretty pretty. I remember hanging over the bed after one surgery. And, and <laughs> so after you have your anesthetic and your surgery, the, the a poo conversation in hospital is quite a big conversation so I, forgive me if you're at your dinner right now but it's quite a big thing and you can die from it so you can die from constipation so it's quite a big serious thing so the, the first poo that comes along is quite a milestone celebrated uh, yeah and uh on one of my occasions i i tried because i was paralyzed I, it was really hard to do it in the bed and it, basically it was like a baby it ended up on my face it ended up all over me and then i had to press the buzzer the nurse came around the corner and she was just met with this like grown baby because when you're paralyzed it's like being a baby again mm. so i've got the six foot four baby lying in this bed i've been in the bed for months now and the highlight of my day is a bed bath i'd had my bed bath then tried to do a poo and now i'm covered in it so she had to wash me down and i remember just lying there over the side just and i started laughing and she's just like what's funny and i was like well i'm kind of covered in my own shit the situation really sucks and if I don't laugh I think I'm going to cry and we both burst out laughing we had this moment of just like wow you know life can be so serious and here I am just lying in my own herd (laughs) that's like that if that doesn't give perspective yeah it will and it was really I used to struggle in serious conversations in sport after that because they were sitting there telling me they're going to drop me off the team. And I'm like, hey, I don't really care because like, I've had such more life-forming moments that being told that it's time to leave a national team is really not one of them. So stop being awkward and just tell me that it's time for me to return. Mm. Yeah, perspective is everything, isn't it? Um, how, you know, how do you get perspective if you've mm. never had those situations, right? Yeah, and I suppose what... I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm definitely need to listen back to this to take my own notes and 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 be. I've been very present in the conversation, but from a different point of view. But there's loads in that around. Um, just the, I suppose the journey. It's not. I do find this. It's not that you suddenly flick a switch and suddenly we see the world a different way. You're. I, I've definitely seen my own perspective shift as 
I've gone on that journey of learning, of growing, of challenging myself in new areas and doing new things. Um, and life throws us curveballs at all, you know, I think at any given moment, like you said earlier, you don't know what's going to happen in, in the future. But I think it's that being mentally prepared and having that outlook on life seems to be a thread, you know, that that question about the, the, the football World Cup. Do you know, how, how do you view life? What's your... What's your um, mindset around it because I think there's there's loads of lessons that you've shared today which has been which has been unreal and we can I could keep talking to you for hours David but just to I suppose bring it to a conclusion um you've obviously and we've not even really touched on all the highlights in your sporting career and the success that you had we've not even really touched on what your diagnosis was or the 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 chronological order of everything that you've been through I'll put stuff in the show notes and I'll signpost folk to to your videos that'll give them more information about that but I knew we'd get loads of, of good out of you but if people are out there and facing adversity or I've got obstacles to overcome and you've probably touched on this throughout the podcast but what would be your top tips for them kind of just that's the, the initial how do I approach this what would be your go-to it's very individual right uh, good sleep mm. one. so i'll give you a good sleep trying and, and dial in your sleep if you if you're not dialing in your sleep then it's going to be challenging so i have a little philosophy that i say natural light before artificial light mm. so how do you fall asleep and how you wake up how you wake up is going to impact how you fall asleep the, that night so if you wake up and the first thing you do is look at your phone you go into a high cortisol state you you know, you're already looking at a screen, you're living someone else's life, emails, whatever, you're already releasing huge amounts of dopamine, the addiction starts, the habit forms. And before you've even got out of bed, then you're 10 minutes behind in your schedule, you miss breakfast, you're out the door, you're not present. So I always say, when you wake up in the morning, a few intentional breaths, get out of bed, go outside, get natural light, move, have a bit of a stretch, just breathe connect to your body just connect to your body and then go about your day and you might want to set intentions you might want to do journaling whatever it may be but that simple thing natural light before artificial light that's it if you do that you're then preparing the body to just deal with life so much better you're then probably going to get better sleep that night which means if you're getting good sleep you can then just deal with life better and I think, so for me, it's always, when I'm struggling, it's usually because I'm not sleeping great. Mm. And then people might say, oh, but David, I can't, I, I'm so stressed, I can't get to sleep and I need to address other things. Well then, okay, let's, let's let's look at your sleep hygiene, your exposure to light, your you know, your, your exposure to caffeine, you know, so sleep, get, get sleep right. If you get sleep right, you're more likely to get your nutrition right, you're more likely to move right. And, and 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 get your breathing right as well i think they're 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 things that have really helped me so i think sleep and then understanding your states when you know what your triggers are and and what happens to your physiology and andrew huberman talks about this beautifully and there's so much research around this that the quickest way out of your mind is to connect to your breath so if you're in a highly stressful situation it's now everyone talks about it now is the double inhale the long mm, exhale yeah. so if you inhale fast you upregulate. if you exhale long you downregulate. but if you do the double inhale through your nose where you go and then a long exhale you do it times three you can automatically regulate your your state very quickly so and i do that 
every time I'm in hospital, every time I'm in a scan machine, I always do the double inhale, long exhale, and that regulates my states. So I think if sleep's number one, learning how breathing impacts your, your states. And then number three, be, be with people, know, know your tribe, be yeah. with people, know who, know, you know, know your friends and, and really start to, you know, build that community. There, there are three things. I think if you, you know, if you're working on those three things, then I think that's a good starting point uh, to start to sort of build on, on this stuff. And they're, and they're all fairly, fairly simple as well i think a lot of people probably well we're already sleeping we're already breathing and we already have friends we just have to be a bit more self-aware mindful and intentional about how these things are are part of our life yeah oh amazing david thank you so much i uh, i've been really excited to record this and i knew i knew exactly what stuff we would get into so thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it no, thank you, thank you. It's been it's been such a pleasure to chat with you, and I hold I hold you in high respect. I love the work you're doing, and you know I hope everyone's enjoyed listening, and that I've not put you to sleep. But if I have put you to sleep, that's also not a bad thing. That's top tip number one: sort your sleep out. Exactly. So, yeah. exactly. No, I think it'll be a re-listen for lots of people to go back and listen on Notepad. But yeah, thank you so much. No, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. And that brings us to the conclusion of season three of the Refresh and Change podcast. If you've enjoyed the episodes in this season and the season one and two, please share with your friends, follow, like the podcast, leave a review. Um, it really helps spread the, spread the message. And we'll take a short break before bringing you season four later in the year. But I really hope that the conversations that have been shared in all three seasons, encouraging you to go and make the refreshing change in your life.